Morning, everyone. So, my talk today is on becoming the bride of Christ. Yes, thank you. Um, so, we've been asked to speak for 10 minutes each, but I'm taking the liberty of having a five-minute video added in, and she's also going to do a song added in. So, Lord, we just come before you this morning. We submit this time to you. We submit our hearts to you, and we ask that we would fall in love with you all over again. In Jesus' name. So in July this year, I went to visit my daughter in the UK, and on the flight coming home, I heard somebody call Sue. So I turn around, but it's dark in the plane. I'm thinking, who knows me here? And I don't see anybody that I know, so I think, oh, that's weird. And I close my eyes again, and I hear Sue. And I'm thinking, no, man, there's nobody here that knows me. And then I thought, Lord, is that you? And he said, feed my sheep. And I said, yeah, but what does that mean? And he said, tell him about breaking bread. And so then, of course, now that sent me on a whole journey of trying to discover the deeper things of what he was trying to say. And um, then I, I was really intrigued, and I, I, I knew that since the beginning of time, God has always had the blood sacrifice for redemption of sins. And um, obviously with um, Adam and Eve, he covered them with, with skin. And so same with when Jesus came, that was our redemption. So obviously that now linked to communion, but there's always more when it, it comes to God. So, you know, I was trying to work out what was he saying. And on the night before he died, Jesus broke bread and he said, do this in remembrance of me. And just as the, the rainbow in Genesis was the covenant of him with the earth, so the communion is the covenant in his blood. Um, and breaking of bread is Eucharist, which means thanksgiving. And God remembers his covenant with us when we give thanks and we remember his price paid. But I knew there's got to be something more than what he's trying to tell me. And I was so excited when I saw this video that I'm going to play for you now. Have you got it at hand? Um, because it gave me the understanding of what it means. Because it was, it's the Galilean wedding, and it's how um, wow. the communion with us as his bride. So if you can just watch that quickly. There's a song we have on our first record called Beloved. And a lot of people ask me, where did I get the idea of that song? Because uh, it's basically God calling us his bride. I wish I could take credit for originality, but it just comes out of Scripture, all sorts of places God calls us His bride. And one of the most unsuspecting places we find that is in the Last Supper. At that time, they were celebrating the Passover feast, and Jesus is going through the, the ritual as a rabbi, and He comes to this very strange place where He picks up what scholars believe the third cup, the cup of salvation, as it were. And, in, and traditionally, you're supposed to just set that aside. But Jesus takes this cup and he offers it to them. He says, this is my covenant. Take and drink it. Which was outrageous for several reasons. One, because Jesus is declaring, hey, the Messiah is here. And two, in that time, in that period, to a bunch of Jewish fishermen, when they hear him saying, this is my covenant. Take and drink it with a cup full of wine. What they heard is, will you marry me? Let me break it down. At that time, when a guy was going to marry a girl, this is what would happen. He'd basically go find his dad and go, yo, dad, this girl, man, I want to make little rabbis with her. You know what I'm saying? And so he would go to her dad and he'd go, let me give you the camels for a daughter. And 
Some of you go, that is so barbaric and archaic. I can't believe that they sold off the, the wives. Um, it actually wasn't terribly unromantic because it actually was just the chance for the guy. He would buy the chance to ask her. She actually got a say in this, which is kind of cool. Because basically what would happen is they'd get the family in the room and all the relatives talk about pressure and he'd sit down at a table and the groom, he'd fill a glass with wine and he'd slide it across the table and he'd say, this is my covenant with you. Take and drink it. At which point, she had the right. She could go, now nah, you stand. You stank you like hummus. I don't want none of that. Or she could drink it, and if she drank it, that was her way of saying, I do. At which point, she'd go home to her town, and they would no longer call her by her name. This was cool. She was referred to as one who was bought with a price. A guy would go home to his town, and they wouldn't talk the whole engagement period. It'd be six months up to a year. The only way they communicated was the best man would basically run back and forth like a text messenger, you know, like, check yes, no, or maybe. In the meantime, the groom is back at his dad's house, and he's building a mansion. Now, before you get excited, girls, mansion in Hebrew, this word that we see in Scripture, it actually means apartment, okay? And to top it off, it was actually an extension of his parents' house. Some of you are going, please don't let me marry a Jewish boy. It was called an insula, the family dwelling, and they would keep building onto it and building onto it. And what was crazy is the groom didn't even get to decide when it was finished. He had to wait for the father's okay, his stamp of approval. He was the one who said, all right, it's done. Go ahead, go get her. At which point he'd go get his groomsmen, right, and they'd march into her town. She wouldn't know the day, the time, or the hour. She'd just be waiting up every day like, this is the day. And they'd come in unannounced with their shofars, like little ram's horns, and they'd they'd come into town, and she'd basically hear it and walk down the stairs and down the aisle, basically. Was this running any parallels for you? Jesus says, this is my covenant, take and drink it. At which point he says, you know, the, the disciples say, well... We've been with him this long. He's crazy town. Let's see how far the rabbit hole goes, right? They say, I do. And then Jesus says, hey, we're not going to see each other for a while. And, but don't sweat it. My, my best man, my spirit, he's going to come, and he's going to relay messages between you and me. That's how we'll communicate. In the meantime, you're going to go home, and, and you're not going to know the day or the time or the hour that I come back for you. But you're going to be referred to as one who is bought with a price. In the meantime, I'm going to my father's house where there are many mansions. And I'm going to prepare one for you. And none of us know when it's going to be, but the father does. And when he tells me that it's finished, I'm going to get my posse, my groomsmen, the holy angels. They're going to blow their shofars, the four trumpets. And I'm going to come home and bring you home for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And what's unbelievable, if this weren't all enough, is that metaphorically Jesus is proposing to all of us. And he's not even proposing to a really great, amazing wife who's going to do all this amazing stuff for him. Scripture tells us that he brings this proposal to an adulterous, unfaithful wife. He calls us that in Hosea and Isaiah and Ezekiel, all over Scripture. So the issue isn't whether or not you're going to be the perfect bride. The issue is, will you take it? Will you drink it? Because the invitation is open. Isn't that amazing? We are his bride. Anyway, what hit home to me the most out of this whole thing is that it's all about choice. 
we get to make the choice. As humans, we are the only created beings that are given the power of choice. And God often uses allegories, stories like this, to teach us exactly how to picture what he's trying to say. So I was able to picture our bridegroom holding out his covenant cup, representing his blood sacrifice to us, to me, his dearly beloved, asking if I would accept his proposal. And I get to choose, we get to choose, yes, Lord, I will marry you. Each time we take this covenant, this covenant cup, we reestablish our first love with our Lord. Remembrance in the Bible is not just recollection, but it's actually the ongoing application of its significance. And this is a vitally important significance, this communion. Just as with the altars of old, where the men would build altars, and their children would say, what are these for? It's a remembrance. God's done it before. He'll do it again. In drinking this cup, we remember his proposal, and it spurs us on to prepare ourselves as his bride for that special union. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, it says, Behold, I lay before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now, choose life. We choose to live lives of integrity and faith as we trust and obey. Through the ongoing process of sanctification, we learn soul excellence. Our soul comprises our thoughts, our emotions, and our will. And we get to choose to practice control over our thoughts, our words, our emotions, and our will, to take them into captivity and bring them to submission to his word. As we become grounded in his word, we take on a new identity. So we trust that we really know who we are and whose we are. His word, word says a house divided against itself cannot stand. As you know, we are made up of three parts, spirit, soul, and body. And all that comes into alignment with the plumb line of his word when we line up our actions with his truth. As only as we live by the word can we have the authority and the power of the word. There, there are various scriptures that talk about the amazing promises that we can live with authority and power on this earth. But who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Only he who has clean hands and a pure heart. As we lead consecrated lives, the devil has no access, no foothold. But to do this, we need to call on the Holy Spirit to produce the fruits in our lives of love and joy, peace and um, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And in so doing, we lead supernatural Christian lives instead of superficial Christian lives. As his bride, we take on his name and thus become his representatives here. Our mission our sole mission is to establish his kingdom on earth, to know God and to make him known. His word says that he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. And this is what the sanctification process is of keeping our lamps filled. God is preparing us to be overcomers, warrior-worshipping brides. We get to choose to abide in him and his word so that we can take up our authority in him because without him, we can do nothing. We choose to surrender to him and to rest in him. 
we choose to focus all of our attention on him and to make him the fulfillment of our desires. We choose to please him and tell others about him. Amazingly, just as we eagerly await Christ's return, so too Jesus eagerly anticipates the Father's command saying, it's time, son, go get your bride. Oh, sorry, I found this just amazing. What a glorious day that will be when he seats us at his lavishly prepared banqueting table with a banner over us of love. Not only will we get to enjoy the richest of fare whilst our enemy is forced to watch, but we will experience the greatest joy of all, abiding in his presence forever. Hallelujah. The spirit and the bride say, come, come, Lord Jesus, come. That's beautiful. So good. So yeah, I'm I'm really excited to be chatting to you this morning. Um, when Sue kind of shared what was on her heart to share about um, communion and about us being the bride of Christ and stuff, I was so excited because what was on my heart kind of feels like it flows out of what was on her heart. So I just want to chat to you a bit more this morning about our union life with Him. Um, so yeah, for about a year now, it's something that I've really been trying to meditate on and come to a greater understanding and revelation of what that actually means. Um, so I've been in a season where I've been struggling both physically and emotionally, feeling exhausted. Um, and I realized that I was largely living out of my own strength, which has a very definite, comes to an end, it doesn't last. Um, so I've also been trying to further understand what it means to live from a place of rest in Him. Um, and how to practically do that. Often we hear people talking about it. And I'm like, what does it really look like in my life? So these are the kind of things I've been thinking about and processing with God. Um, and I've also had some of the elements of my old nature pop up. And I wanted to more fully understand. Let me check if that's still going. More fully understand um, yeah, how I live in my new creation life. Um, and to really put my old nature to death and how I do that. So this morning, these are just some of the thoughts that I've gathered around sort of these kind of themes. Um, so for about a year now, I've been stuck in a particular scripture. I don't know if you've ever read a scripture that you feel like there's so much more to it and you just want to sit in it and you just want to come to the Lord and you just want to receive from him. You feel like there's so much more in it. And one of these scriptures for me, um, which really feels like it's a doorway into such a vital kingdom truth, is Ephesians 4, 23 to 24. Um, I love the Passion Translation version, which is what I'm going to read. It says, now it's time to be made new by every revelation that's been given to you and to be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within as your new life and live in union with him. It goes on to say, for God has recreated you all over again in his perfect righteousness and you now belong to him in the realm of true holiness. Um, so yeah, I've just been stuck there for a really long time. Um, and just trying to unpack some of what it means. And when it starts, it says, now it's time, which is a clue that now's a good time. We are in the right time for this to happen. And how are we made new? We're made new by every revelation that he gives us. So he gives it to us. We're not doing anything to get it. He gives us. When someone gives you something, you just receive it, right? That's all we have to do is receive it. And then actually to believe it, to own it, to believe what he's telling us. Um, so, yeah. Um, 
And then Paul goes on to explain that we will be transformed as we embrace the glorious Christ within as your new life and live in union with him. So notice that he uses the word embrace, which is an action word that requires us to do something. The Oxford Dictionary describes the word embrace as a verb to mean to hold someone closely in one's arms, especially as a sign of affection, or accept a belief, a theory, or change willingly and enthusiastically. So we need to hold closely and willingly and enthusiastically accept the truth. So embracing the fact that Christ lives within us, making us a new creation. And now we live not alone or separated from him, but with him residing in us, transforming us as we live united with him, in him. So we're never, ever alone. I think that's what struck me so much. Like if we abide with him, we're never alone because he's always with us. And the next action word to get our attention is live. So we need to live in union with him. That requires a decision on our part. We need to choose to live our lives in this way, united with him. So let's just take a moment. I just felt like there was so much revelation in here that I just want us to pause and take a moment to actually receive what he's saying to us this morning. Um, Yeah, to receive revelation from the Lord. It's just quietening yourself, opening your heart, opening your spirit and letting him speak truth into you, into you, into your very core being. Um, So yeah, let's just take a moment. Let's close our eyes because that often helps us not to be distracted. Let's just quieten ourselves. Let's take a few deep breaths in and out. So open your heart to receive what he's saying to you, what he's giving you this morning. And I'm going to read that scripture one more time. And as I do, actively embrace the truth of it and make a choice to live the reality of it. Now it's time to be made new by every revelation that's been given to you and to be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within as your new life and live in union with him. And God has recreated you all over again in his perfect righteousness. And you now belong to him in the realm of true holiness. Let's tell ourselves, God has recreated me in his perfect righteousness. Let's say that together. God has recreated me in his perfect righteousness. And now I belong to him. Now I belong to him in the realm of true holiness. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So over quite some time, I've been trying to better understand what my new union life with Christ looks like. Galatians 2.20 tells me, My old identity has been co-crucified with Messiah and no longer lives. For the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine. For the anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union as one. My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. The message translation helps me to further understand this. It says, what actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion, and I'm no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going to go back on that. Is it not clear to you that that to go back on that 
to go back to that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God. I refuse to do that, to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. And so, I'm sorry, there's so many scriptures that just like, whoo, and it's so clear that God's beautiful new covenant with us isn't about rule-keeping. It's not a list of what we need to do. It's about love. It's about joy. It's about being so connected intimately to him, to living in this new place of freedom, of love, of joy, of fullness. I love what Justin Abraham says about our new covenant with God that God's made with us. He says, the new covenant is wine. It's not a book of rules. It's a lover's table. It's a bridal love. It's intoxication. All he says is, will you drink it? So it's so interesting to me to notice as well that Jesus' ministry began with wine, just how relevant actually the New Testament is about wine, really. Um, so the first miracle he performed, he turned water into wine. And then actually right at the end, it ended also with wine, with communion, the Last Supper, um, before he died. Um, so yeah, it just it's all about wine and it's about us actually seeing it like that and receiving it and drinking it. It's not complicated. I think sometimes we make it about so many things and it's actually quite simple. Um, Catherine of Siena, who was an early Christian mystic, she says, let us behave like the drunkard who doesn't think of himself, but only of the wine he has drunk and of the wine that remains to be drunk. I love that. <laughs> Psalm 16, the New Living Translation says, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. So many pleasures the Lord wants us to have just living with him. So he's showing us the way of life and we need to actively partake and actually become good drinkers. So in this joyful place of connection and union with him, that we can actually live in rest. It's not about us doing things, achieving things, performing things, but it's about him living in us and us living in him together. In him, as Sue already said, we have everything we need for life. In him we live and move and have our being. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So a lot of versions have the word wait there. The Hebrew word for wait is korvor, which could also be translated to mean entwine. So entwine means to bind together or perhaps by twisting. So we could actually read that again. We could say, they that entwine with the Lord and his thoughts will renew their strength. So this is a key to living a life of rest in him. We need to entwine with the Lord's thoughts for our minds to be filled with thoughts of him, for our hearts to be filled with desire for him, for us to see him in every moment of our lives and every situation. Liz Wright says, when you look into his eyes, you see your reflection and everything changes. You increasingly discover that all that he is, you are. You are his mirror image. His nature is your nature. His wisdom is your wisdom. All that he is, not part of him, but all that Jesus is, is who you are in this world. Continue entwining with him and you will be an unstoppable force. I've been in a difficult season wanting to live fully in my new creation life, but being very aware that parts of my old nature have kept popping up. And it's been a real journey, and it's still a real journey of discovery with the Lord um, to fully receive and live in my new created identity. Um, yeah, so 
I think my initial strategy, I'm just going to share a little bit of my journey with you. My initial strategy when some of my old traits popped up and things I didn't like in my old nature, I initially thought, okay, I'm going to remind myself of truth. So I reminded myself of the scripture that tells me um, I've been made new and that my old nature is nailed to the cross. And then I pressed in to spend time with the Lord. I meditated on truth. I had some amazing times with the Lord, some really powerful encounters, which were amazing and so good. And wow, just so good for me. And as time went on, I still found, though, that some of my traits were still there. They kept popping up. Then I think I went through a period um, of a different kind of strategy, where, well, not a very helpful one, where I looked very closely at those traits and the things that I didn't like. And I found that the more I looked at them and focused on them, the more overwhelmed I felt about them. It was almost like slipping deeper down into a dark, slimy pit. And I found what Debbie has often said to be so, so true that you get more of what you focus on. And in this case, that wasn't a good thing. And then it was like Jesus stretched out his hand to me and pulled me out of the slimy pit. And I heard his invitation to process the hard things, the old unhealthy ways with him. I know that God can radically change me in an instant. But during this time, I realized how much he loves to process and journey with me. It really isn't about the final destination. It's about being transformed by him as you walk through life with Jesus. And Jesus spoke to me in this time about the importance of a new wineskin. So in Jesus' day, people used to um, st um, store liquids, drinks, in like animal skins, like a goat skin that they could often use. Um, and then fermented drinks like wine, as it would ferment, the skin would expand. Um, and so if you poured new wine into an old wineskin, it basically, there wouldn't be space for it because it would expand and the actual seams would tear. So it was really important that you poured your new wine in a new wineskin that had space for it to basically ferment. And I felt like God was saying to me that my old wineskin was my old self and my old nature. And that if I wanted to, be, to fully receive all that he wanted to pour into my life, I needed to have a new wineskin. Like the old one's not going to work. Um, he's not going to be able to contain all that he wants to give me. Um, so my new wineskin is my new creation self, the one that is entwined with him, never again to be alone. And I realized that when I chose to follow Jesus when I was eight years old, that he put my old nature to death. And I realized that I was the one who was living in it, which is ridiculous. I realized I had been deceived by my own thinking, my old mindsets. Colossians 1.21 says, once you, were, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but it didn't seem enough for me just to think about being a new creation because my behavior didn't always match up to my new thinking. And over the past couple of years in particular, God has changed major foundational mindsets I had that weren't aligned with who he says I am. And one of these mindsets he shifted was me always feeling like a victim in life, that tough things always happen to me. God has so kindly and graciously shown me the truth. And as I've seen these unhealthy thinking patterns, he has taken them from me and because I was processing with him, he didn't just leave it there. He's so kind and he's so generous. And when we give him something, he always gives us something in return. And he showed me in return who I was, that I was created in his image to be beautiful and powerful, and that I was not a victim of life and its circumstances. This was a very powerful shift in my life. Jesus held my hand as we journeyed back to times I'd felt like a victim in life. He never let my hand go as I tried bravely to look at the past and process it with him. A powerful tool that helped me at this time was art or visual journaling, as a lot of these ladies on the couch know about. Um, 
so I felt that God wanted me to deal with things that I'd buried in my life, but it was quite hard just to talk about it and just to get it out. So what was really helpful was just to, in a book, on a page, just draw a whole lot of pictures of the things that he was bringing to light and reminding me. And I did it. I've got a little art journal book. So I drew little pictures of the things that he was reminding me of. And I felt he said to put a, a blood red and sort of pinkish painted border around it. And I just felt like all the memories that he's processing, processing with me, that just reminded me visually that actually I'm covered in the blood of Jesus. He's with me. He's cleansing me. He's healing me. Um, yeah, the red color was obviously for his blood and the pink often symbolizes healing. So that was just actually that Jesus is with me and he's healing my heart. And having these beautiful times of processing with the Lord has created new experiences for me where looking at the difficult things wasn't a deep pit anymore, but more like walking out of a tunnel into his glorious light. I was reminded, as Debbie has mentioned to us, that our behavior comes from our subconscious, which is in our right brain. Um, and our subconscious comes from our experiences and the things we've lived through. Um, so I realized that it doesn't, yeah, because my behavior wasn't always matching up to what I was believing or thinking about. Um, so I realized I needed a very holistic shift to happen, including my thinking and my behavior. And so speaking truth to myself, telling myself, reminding myself about what God says about me is integral and spending time with him is creating new neural pathways of happiness in my brain that are rewriting patterns of my behavior. And I was thinking about it last night and I was just thinking it's a bit like if you can imagine a child who um, has been living in an orphanage, maybe say for the first eight or ten years of their life. Imagine a little boy who's been living there. And maybe he hasn't had a lot of attention, he hasn't been treated well, he doesn't really trust people because he hasn't had good experiences. And imagine that child gets adopted into a beautiful, loving family. Um, on, he's got the paperwork, he's adopted, he now belongs to this family, but his behavior is not necessarily going to just at that moment shift because of his lived experience and he has to have beautiful experiences with his new family where he realizes they love him, they're there for him regardless and all those beautiful experiences with his new family are rewiring his brain and actually changing his behavior and I realize that's actually what, what it's like with God and I realize actually it's so important to spend time with him and let him love you and receive his love and find out more who he is and let him Show, show us his faithfulness and actually that's how we can more fully live in our real identity. We are adopted, we are his, we belong to him. Um, and then also, yeah, with the wineskin, God also, I just felt that he said um, a new wineskin absolutely requires his oil, the oil of his presence, which enables the wineskin to expand without tearing or breaking. So it's, it's like softly helps it to expand. And I just realized in all of this, as Sue also said, God cares about all of us, our body, our soul, which as she said, is our mind, our will and our emotions and our spirit. And our spirit needs to be the leader. I think through my journey, I've very much been trying to press into that, not letting the emotions be the leader of my life. I want my spirit to be the leader. And when we allow our spirit to be the leader, the strength of Jesus that is in our spirit will then be ours. And then that helps our soul to release all those burdens and not to carry them. Liz Wright says, when we gently say to our soul, Perform your highest created task. Look at Jesus within. Healing cascades through the doorway of our spirit, bathing our emotions and central nervous system. And so in ending, I've realized that I am like an onion with many, many layers. And the Lord is with me in each layer, um, going deeper and deeper. So sanctification, I think it is a process <coughs> and we do it layer by layer. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. 
And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Colossians 2.6 says, Therefore, as you have received Christ the Lord, walk in union with him, reflecting his character in the things you do and say, living lives that lead others away from sin, having been deeply rooted in him and now being continually built up in him and becoming increasingly more established in your faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. And so in ending, um, there's a song I just want us to listen to. Um, it's actually more like speaking to a bit of a beat in the background. Um, and there's so much truth in it. The song is called Drunk on Love. And so if you want to close your eyes and just let the words sink in um, and just receive his love afresh. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit nigelanddebbie.org.